Jesus, thank you for this second opportunity this morning and for this afternoon, the blessing to baptize as you've told us to do. Thank you for that. Help me to be clear, Lord. You know my heart and my mind when I come to these moments. They're so big because you're going to be heard. Your very words are going to be read. Your character, your wisdom is going to be evaluated and weighed by people. And I pray that no one would make the mistake of doing less than completely believing you and trusting you. I ask that in your name, the name of Jesus, my Savior, my Lord. Amen. Luke chapter 18 is where we are. What we do at Crosspoint is we move through books of the Bible. And we've been in Luke for quite some time. If you'll look with me in Luke chapter 18, I want to read you a story that is probably familiar. This is one of those beloved stories, but someone told me after the first service that he, he reads it, it kind of bothers him a little bit, he doesn't know quite what to make of it, and all his life he's moved on. And that is always the temptation when you hear from Jesus. Because Jesus knows the truth and he is the truth. And anytime you hear from him, whether it's on a Sunday morning reading the Gospels or tomorrow when you open your Bible again, for me that will require coffee. Because I always need coffee before I hear from the Lord because I want to be fully awake, I want to pay attention to him. That moment is enormous. Because you're sitting down actually to hear God's very word. And if you pray, you have the privilege in the name of Jesus to speak to the God who made the whole universe. And that moment is never to be despised. It's never to be set aside as anything less than absolutely important. But if you really listen to him, he'll challenge you. He'll push you. He'll correct you. Sometimes he'll bear your burdens and give you comfort. Someone said the gospel, and it's true of Jesus, comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. If you're too self-satisfied, too comfortable with yourself, too far in love with yourself, he'll shake you up. He'll rattle you. If you're broken and feel worthless and hopeless and anxious and fearful, as you'll see in this story, he'll welcome you more generously than anyone on earth has ever received you in your life. That's who Jesus is. And this story is a story about time with Jesus. That's what the whole story is about. It's hard for me to convey, and you'd have to read quite a lot of the gospel to see all these portraits of what the life of Jesus was like when he was ministering on earth. He was continually thronged by people. We read one story, for instance, where the crowd was so thick around him, a woman must have crawled through the crowd and reached desperately through the legs of other people, and all she could do was grab onto the hem of his garment. She had a devastating and embarrassing medical condition, but she had trust, if I can only touch him, if I can get close enough to him, he can help me. And that's what it took for her. And the crowd was so thick that Jesus even asked, who, who touched me? And if you read the story, the disciples say, well, <laughs> are you kidding? You're being thronged. On another occasion, the crowd was so thick that it appeared to be pushing Jesus into the sea. And he actually asked for one of his disciples to get a boat 
Jesus got into the boat. They pushed off from the land and from the water. Using the natural amplification of his voice over the water, he taught the crowd because they were going to push him apparently into the sea if he didn't do that. I don't know if you've ever had the experience. I don't know if you went to those kinds of concerts where the crowd gets a little rowdy and you're nearly trampled. Did that ever happen to anybody? Against my mother's wishes and sometimes against my mother's knowledge, I went to such concerts when I was a kid. And there were a couple times when I thought, this is it. I'm going to die right here. And this is what my mother was trying to spare me from. She'll say through her tears, I knew it, right? Mom will be vindicated in the end. That's what Jesus' life was like all the time. And at this point in Luke chapter 18, he has a pretty well-developed group of disciples, they're not his employees, but they are most definitely his disciples. The vertical, the org chart goes straight up. Jesus is absolutely in charge. They call him master. They call him Lord, and they're right to do so. And they see that he commands demons and disease. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus was so notable, his ministry had grown so much that we're told at evening, they brought everyone in town to him, everyone who had anything wrong with them. And Jesus left the house he was in and walked among this diseased and in some cases demon-possessed crowd with every kind of ailment that could afflict a human being, and he healed them all. He's in charge of everything, so everybody wants a piece of him. And because they're if you want to think of it that way. They're his staff. They're certainly his apprentices. They do what good apprentices do. They try to protect his time. You're in a bad way if you're on foot in the first century and everyone in every city and village all wants to come to you at once. So the disciples try to protect the Lord's time. Every culture does that. I don't know if you've had the experience where you're trying to get a hold of somebody and you just can't because you're not important enough. You have to deal with two or three or four people and they say politely, what is this regarding? And you kind of make your pitch and they go, well, no, uh, he, he won't help you, but maybe I can. Anybody ever else, anybody else ever have this experience or is it just me that gets treated this way? <laughs> Happens all the time, Right. That's just the way the world works. You see, the world itself is transactional. Almost every relationship in your life is based on a transaction. You do certain things for them, and in return, they will do something for you. That's the way jobs work. You show up to the job, you do what you're told, you do it well enough. On a Wednesday or a Friday, they'll pay you. What happens if you stop showing up or stop doing the work? What will they stop doing? They'll stop paying. Your automatic deposit will stop being automatic. Your key card won't work. Your time card won't work. You'll be done. The disciples have inherited, and I think it's a loving thing, they've inherited this view of Jesus' time. Because in Luke chapter 18, people who could do absolutely nothing for Jesus want time with him. Look with me in Luke chapter 18, verse 15. The gospel of Luke says, now they were bringing, I'm in Luke 18, verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. 
Now, Luke doesn't say, but if these are babies, these are probably mothers that are bringing the babies. That's the way it generally is in life. That is certainly the way it would have worked in the first century. Poor mothers are bringing infants. They're bringing slobbering babies to Jesus. What is it that they're hoping that he'll do? Let's just read the Bible together. What is it that these parents are hoping Jesus will do for their children? Just bless them. Just touch them. He is absolutely famous. His very touch conveys blessing. What they're hoping he will do as a great teacher and a man clearly sent from God as a religious leader acknowledged is that he will welcome them and in a Jewish fashion place his hand on their head and bless them. And this is a crowd that really is not very easily going to be granted access anywhere because these are women in the first century who were at the bottom of the social strata and they're bringing children. What can needy mothers with tiny babies do for Jesus? The answer is nothing. And Bible storytelling, the Bible narratives are very spare. They're very lean. They don't have many details. But if I think about the world of the first century, I realize that even a person my age in the first century is someone who has lived a very long and fortunate life because any bacterial or viral infection can kill you. Any broken bone, anything that can't be quickly and easily mended is likely to cripple you or blind you or kill you. These people are desperate. They live day to day. They live meal by meal. But Sal, suddenly, who is going into all of their synagogues on every Sabbath, on every Saturday, he's opening up the scriptures, explaining that he is the one the prophets promised. He is validating it and proving it by commanding nature and demons and disease. He's doing, in other words, everything that God ever did in the Old Testament. He is making the audacious claim that he existed before their father Abraham did. He is in charge of absolutely everything. So obviously, needy mothers, perhaps with feverish children, are hoping to get close to Jesus so that he will do something for them. They don't know if they will be received. They don't know exactly what he will do, but this is the reputation of Jesus. Everyone who comes to him receives something that is even greater than they had hoped. And that's all they want. And I want you to see what the apprentices did, what the F did. Verse 15, when the disciples saw it, they, what? They rebuked them. That's a really harsh word. In Texas, my parents would say they chewed them out. Anybody say that in California? Yeah. They have taken it upon themselves to confront these women and say, no, not today. He doesn't have time. I don't know how rude or how polite they were, but they are denying access to Jesus. They are telling these parents, in likelihood mothers with these little slobbering babies, he has no time for you. I think the subtext is, do you have any idea who you're dealing with here? Do you know how many people want to talk to him? Do you know the demands on his day? Do you know how exhausted he is at the end of the day? 
I know Jesus physically speaking, because he is an actual human being, is exhausted because he also does things like fall asleep in a boat in the middle of a storm. Remember that story? He's worn out. He's wrung out every single day. So the disciples think they are doing Jesus a kindness. They, they think they are being not only kind, but they're being strategic by telling these parents with these little kids, go away. No time for you. But Jesus is going to do something surprising. He's going to, I think, rebuke them in return. In front of everybody, apparently, he is going to correct their understanding. And this is where the story begins to be a little uncomfortable. Luke doesn't give us that psychological detail, but hold the gospel of Luke and look back in the previous gospel in Mark chapter 10. It's the same story. It's just a different perspective. Because there are very good reasons to believe that Mark wrote his gospel after hearing from the apostle Peter. So if you look with me, in Mark chapter 10, in verse 13, Peter, who was an eyewitness, Peter didn't write this gospel, Mark did, but Mark was discipled by Peter, so you could say in a sense that this is Peter's gospel. Here's what Peter saw, here's what Peter experienced, just the first verse, so that you can sit there with the psychology of what's happening when the mothers come with their little children to Jesus. Mark 10, verse 13, they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was what? He was indignant. With whom? He was indignant with his disciples. It's a pretty humiliating thing to try to protect the boss and to put in a good word for the boss and kind of remind the parents and the babies how the org chart is pointed back toward them and then for the boss to come out and say, no, 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 no. You've got it all wrong. And he tells them what I'm reading you in Luke chapter 18, verse 16. Jesus called them to him. In other words, the people who they are trying to keep away, Jesus calls them close. Jesus called them to him saying, let the, little, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Listen, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. The disciples have it all wrong. They think they've understood the org chart. They've understood Jesus' priorities. They've understood how to protect his time. And Jesus says just exactly the opposite. He tells the disciples indignantly. In other words, I think when he spoke, I think there was some heat on it. I think Peter felt it. I think Peter felt the embarrassment and the shame of having misread Jesus and misread the situation so badly. And what they're told is, verse 16, let those little children come close. Do not hinder them. In other words, disciples, stop what you're doing. You're obstructing people and you're obstructing the wrong people because for such, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And then this statement. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. 
This is a short story because this right cross didn't take long to deliver. Here is probably, we didn't have much time to talk, but here's what probably made my friend uncomfortable. Jesus said, unless you receive the kingdom like a little child, you'll have no part in it. My kingdom, the kingdom of God, belongs to those who are like little children. And my friend, who's quite accomplished, probably read that. And as a grown and successful man said, I don't know how to fit my life into Jesus' standard that the only people who are going to make it into the kingdom of God are people who are like little children. I'm not a little child. I I don't know. And he said, and I just keep reading. Here's the trouble. Do you like to be treated like a child? Any of you? Me neither. In fact, that really came home to me. I was thinking about this sermon and it reminded me of an experience I had, oh gosh, probably 30 years ago. A long time ago, over here on the corner of Warner and Beach where the UFC gym is now, that used to be another gym called Bally's. Anybody remember Bally's? Well, as a young 20-something college kid who hadn't met his wife yet but wanted to look good for whenever she showed up, I wanted to join that gym. And I had made a regrettable fashion choice that day. I was wearing a shirt made by a company that thankfully no longer exists. It was known as Bugle Boy. Anybody remember that clothing? Not the best stuff, but it's what I could afford, okay? Be nice. So I walked in with a bright red shirt. I remember because traumatic experiences stay in memory, okay? I was wearing a bright red shirt that said Bugle Boy across the pocket. And the kid behind the counter, who couldn't have been more than a year older than I was, looked up at me and said, hey, boy. Oh, I nearly turned Bally's gym into an early version of the UFC gym (laughs) because I felt disrespected. That's what he intended. And you look about it. It's been about 30 years. I'm still a little bit upset about it (laughs) because, frankly, justice was not done that way. I just, well, I'd left. (laughs) I didn't buy, at least not from him. There's not a person listening to me. And there's not a man who ever opens the Bible to explain it to people the way I'm explaining it to you today that likes to be treated like a child. You're grown. Children don't like to be treated like children. It doesn't take very long before little tiny children start saying things like, I do it, I do it, I can do it. And you know they can't do it. You know they're going to set the kitchen on fire, right? So there's an argument about what they can and cannot do. You allow them to do it for as long as they can, and then there's a mess, and then you clean it up, and you teach, and you patiently try to re-coach, and all of these things. And here's Jesus saying to the disciples, don't keep those kids away from me. The kingdom of God belongs to them. In fact, gentlemen, if you do not receive the kingdom like a little child, you'll never make it in. What is that about? That is about humility. You see, every religious system in the world, including some religious systems that call themselves Christianity enter this transactional world and tell you these are the rules, do these things well enough, long enough, and you'll be accepted. 
Not everybody likes religion, but everybody has a religion of their own making, even if they call it, as a friend of mine said before he met Christ, doing the right thing for the right reason. Everybody likes to create a standard and everybody likes to meet it. And Jesus says, you can't. The standard is this. You have to identify yourself as a needy, dependent child. See these little babies around me? I don't want them to stay away from me. I want them to come. I want you disciples to stop impeding their parents. Bring them here. I want to bless them. I want to pray for them. I want to heal them if they're sick because the kingdom actually belongs to them. And if people aren't like them, they'll never enter the kingdom. And that's huge. It's the most important thing anybody could ever tell you because Jesus is actually the king. He really is God on earth. He's the one who fulfilled all these prophecies. And he's telling you the terms of the kingdom, which are these. Unless you are entirely dependent, unless you completely rely on him to get you in, you'll never enter the kingdom. And it's the hardest thing in the world because even little children don't last very long wanting to be dependent. Let's think through Jesus' word picture. Because anybody who know, has raised children knows that children are not exactly the most pliable things in the world. They're not exactly cooperative. When is a little child cooperative? A child is cooperative and humble and dependent when that child is scared and knows how much need they actually have. Maybe you've raised little boys like I did. Maybe you've seen a four-year-old go from a complete dragon killer. I can do it all myself, but then the neighbor's dog comes charging out, snarling. The dog is three times his size. In a moment, he realizes how actually small and weak he is. And in that moment, he shouts for his mother. He calls for his dad. He runs for the protective arms of the parent who scoops him up, brings him close. And that little boy who was so fearless now has tears dripping down his mother's shoulder because he's humble, he's dependent, he's needy. He's not afraid in that moment to call out, mommy, daddy. Jesus says, unless you take that spiritual attitude, you can't be welcomed into the kingdom of God. And I know probably today I'm talking almost exclusively to Christians, but if you in some way have been misled by church or been misled by your own understanding and you ever entertained the idea that coming to church or reading the Bible or listening to a pastor was about you being good enough for the kingdom, let me tell you the truth, you won't make it. You have to be welcomed in. You have to declare yourself as humble and needy and reliant as a little tiny baby is on his parents and then... When you do that, Jesus promises you that you will be welcomed. Look back, please, at Luke chapter 18. To such, Jesus said, belongs the kingdom of God. That's the standard. But here's the good news. This actually is a story of good news. Here it is. If you come to Jesus offering nothing but yourself, you will always be welcomed. What people bring to Jesus is not really themselves. They bring themselves and excuses. They bring themselves and rationalizations. People religiously bring to Jesus promises to do better. 
And that's pride. That says, yes, I've messed up, but I can improve. Yes, I've messed up. Yes, I've sinned, but I can make it right. And Jesus' continual teaching all the way through in all of these word pictures is, you won't make it on your own. This is why I have come. But anyone who comes to Jesus bringing nothing but himself as you actually are, your shame, your guilt, your story, your failure, the secrets of your heart that bring you shame to this day, the things that make you cringe about yourself to this very moment, all the things that you regret, all the things that hurt your conscience, if you will bring those things to Jesus and you utterly rely on him, you turn yourself in, you confess your need of him, you will always be welcome because people who depend on Jesus never need to fear his rejection. That's the beauty of Jesus. If you will only and always rely on him, you will always be received. You will always be loved. You will always be welcomed because Jesus said to such belongs the kingdom of God. Daryl Bach is a great New Testament scholar who has studied the gospel of Luke as much and as well as anyone probably who's ever lived. To help us understand this word picture, Bach invites us to envision a little girl reaching her hand up just as high as she can to take hold of her mother's hand in complete reliance that her mother will take care of her. That's the attitude that brings you into the kingdom. That's the attitude that lets you live well in the kingdom. If you're a Christian, if you are genuinely saved, there was a moment in your life as there was in mine where you broke, in your, pri- you broke your pride. God put the weight of your pride and your self-reliance under his law and under his righteousness. You gave up on yourself. You turned yourself into Jesus and he saved you. That happened for me when I was still a child, but the conscious memory I have of the relief I experienced that he would welcome me and forgive me and call me his own gave me life that night and continues with me to this day. I received the kingdom as a child. It doesn't matter how old you are. The only people who will be welcomed into the kingdom are those who trust Jesus in this way. If you have never done that, At the end of this service, I'm going to give you a little space of time in prayer and my invitation in his name. I'm just the messenger. I'm just repeating to you and explaining to you what Jesus said here. My invitation to you is that you give up on yourself, turn your back on your sin, and entrust yourself to him. He'll save you. He'll welcome you. He's never rejected anybody who comes to him to depend on him. Now let's make this practical for Christians before we're done. You see, this is, this humility, this childlike dependence on Jesus is what makes anyone eligible for the kingdom. It's what makes Jesus welcome those who will humble themselves in this way. But maybe you've noticed you can begin life with Jesus and then like those little children who were so needy at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, by 1.15 your tears are dried and you're starting to get full of yourself again. You're starting to get a little self-reliant and independent. Does that happen to anybody besides me? Let me tell you some symptoms of pride which are independence from Jesus. Here's the first. Disobedience. 
Let's think again about a child. Why does a child disobey his mother or father? Just basic child psychology. Why does a kid disobey a parent who loves him? They think they know better. Right? Mom has these rules about bedtime and proper nutrition and the way we speak to people and the way we keep our clothing and our room and our toys and mom doesn't get it. It's a new day. Mom is old. She's of a different time. This child, certainly this child, has a better and truer understanding of the way life really is to be lived. The only reason children disobey loving, sensible, and wise parents is because kids think they know better. I don't know if you've had the experience. Have you ever disobeyed God? Have you ever read something that Jesus said in his word and offered this little phrase? Yeah, but... And you explain that your specific situation is different. And that, yes, you certainly understand why Jesus would say that to so many people. But in this specific situation, you're quite sure that he would agree with you and make an allowance this one time to do it your way. Has anybody ever else had those conversations with Jesus? Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. That's it. If you know that he knows better and you love him, you will obey him. Here's a second way. Here's a second pride, uh, a second symptom of pride and independence. Waiting to ask for his help. In other words, you wait to pray. You put off prayer. You give it your own best shot, and then you discover along the way that you never should have started, you never should have done that, and finding yourself in trouble, then you begin to call out and to cry out for help. Nothing more childlike and nothing more childish than that. To have some grand scheme start completely outside of parental supervision and knowledge, you start the project, then the whole thing falls apart and the doghouse is on fire or whatever else situation you've created, and then you call out for help. What does that look like in my life? If you're asking yourself, where are you getting this? I'm getting it from examples across the Bible and also my own personal experience with the Lord. I know I have become comfortable and self-reliant when my prayer life takes a dive. When I neglect the immense privilege of being heard by God first thing in the morning and throughout the day, the only possible explanation for that is that I think I can handle it. If you had access to the God of the universe who not as a king anymore, though he is, but as your father is willing to listen to you because you speak as one of his own children. You've been welcomed into his kingdom. You've been welcomed into his family. And your father who does not sleep and needs no rest will eagerly and lovingly listen to you every day. Why in the world, if those are the conditions, would any Christian ever say that their prayer life struggles? that they're neglectful of prayer, that they're forgetful of prayer, that they struggle to pray. The only reason for that is independence. We don't pray because we think we don't really need to, at least not that much. I love what Corey Tin Boom said. If you're not familiar with the story of Corey Tin Boom, her grave is here in Orange County. 
one of the great Christian women of a generation ago, her family hid Jews in the Netherlands when the Nazis swept in and started taking them away. They were eventually discovered, and most of her family was themselves put to death. Corrie ten Boom survived, survived a concentration camp to come out and give a great witness for Christ and teach much about what it means to trust Jesus in the worst circumstances on earth. She said that for most people, prayer is a spare tire when it should be the steering wheel. And that's it. And listen, if it has taken trouble... If it has taken failure to call out to Jesus, don't be ashamed by that. Every parable that Jesus ever told about prayer pictures someone in trouble. Jesus knows how we are. He knows that the great majority of us will wait until we're in trouble like a little child to start screaming out for help. So whatever it takes to get you back to Jesus and to get you praying, praise the Lord. Don't waste a moment of guilt and shame. You've already heard in the story, Jesus will welcome you the moment you're humble and dependent upon him. So whatever it took, including great sin and failure, if that's what it took to bring you back to the Lord and get you talking to him, praise the Lord, keep doing it. But the lesson now is don't wait. Do not wait to ask for his help. And finally... And I see this every day in our culture. I've seen it accelerate in the last several months. A final symptom of pride by people who have been welcomed by Jesus is that we reject others after being welcomed ourselves. There's so much trouble in our country right now, but one of my greatest concerns is that Christians have forgotten that they themselves were sinners. And that if we are saints, it is only by the grace of God. If we are forgivers, if we have, we've just been singing, if we are sinners who met the forgivers and have been made into saints, in other words, not perfect people, but forgiven people, people who have been washed clean, who have been adopted into God's family, it seems to me in this current political climate that we're in that at least some very loud Christians have forgotten their own need. They've forgotten their own failures. They've forgotten their own sins. And the way I know that is because so many Christians in so many different ways are communicating nothing but rejection to other people who Jesus himself will welcome if only they will humble themselves. We all came to the cross the same way. If anyone ever names and claims Christ genuinely, it's for one simple reason. They came to Jesus with nothing to offer except their sin, their shame, their guilt, their embarrassing past and said, I can't do it anymore. I can't save myself. I can't make myself better. I need you to do it. And at that moment, that humility, that childlike dependence brings them Paul says in the book of Colossians, out of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. And you're forgiven and you're loved and you're actually a son or a daughter of God. How awful, how contradictory, how confusing, how hypocritical that people who were welcomed and forgiven like that would then mount up on their religious high horse, look down on others and say, but you cannot come. There's hope for every single person in this world that still draws breath. 
The only thing that keeps people away from the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ is their stubborn self-reliance that will not humble themselves and be welcomed by Christ himself. Please remember, if you come to Jesus offering nothing but yourself, you will always, always be welcomed. Let's pray together, shall we? Two groups of people anytime the church gathers. There are some this morning who need to trust Jesus as Savior. Perhaps that's you. You're watching online or you're here under these canopies, under this tent. And maybe you've read the Bible and you've done some things and you've offered some prayers and you've done your best and you've done some religious things. You've done some Christian looking and sounding things, but honestly, you would not bet your soul on your assurance of forgiveness of life with Christ. If that's your situation, I just want to open a space to you right now for you to talk directly to the Lord. You've heard the gospel. You've heard his good news. I'm inviting you now to turn to him and say, Jesus, I give up. I'm like those little kids. I can't help myself. I can't save myself. I can't do it on my own. I've sinned. Please save me. Please, please forgive me. And if you do that this morning, if you're here in the tent, take a moment longer after praying and let, fill the card out and leave it in the basket as you leave, as you leave the property. If you're online and today's the day you're hearing the call of Jesus and you're willing to humble yourself, you want him to welcome you into his kingdom, let us know, please. Text us, his name, the name Jesus, to 714-868. 7258. You can email us. It's not a religious condition, of course. Jesus himself will welcome you. He'll hear you. We just want to know about it so we can celebrate with you, so we can pray for you, so that we can teach you to read the Bible and learn how to hear from him every day so that you can walk with him yourself. About you, Christian. There's so much anxiety. There's so much anger. There's so much contempt running through our country right now. Would you say that you found your heart more humble through all of this? You're more aware of your own sins? You're more grateful of God's grace that once welcomed you? Or would you say that your prayer life has suffered? You've gotten a little more independent. Maybe you're a little resentful, a little disappointed with the Lord. You speak to him less. You hear from him less. You disobey him more if you're honest. That's independence. That's your pride rising up. The pride that once kept you away from Christ is now trying to interfere in your relationship with him. If you found yourself in those symptoms, as I did, disobedience, waiting a long time to pray and ask for God's help, contempt, anger, resentment toward others, lack of belief that God could forgive them as he forgave you, can I give you a moment to just confess that to him? Tell him that you want to be like a child again. Childlike, simple, humble trust in the one who will always do what is right. Lord, change me. Change my family. Change our church. Change the families and the friends that are gathered here. 
May we go out into this week completely reliant on you. May we renew and remember that reliance day by day. Make us quick to meet with you in the mornings, to talk to you throughout all the day, to be reminded that the very breath we draw, the talent we have, the experience we've enjoyed, Lord, the money we're given, whatever it is that we've taken pride in, it's all from you. We can't possibly keep it. We can't even earn it, Lord, without your blessing and your, your empowering. And make us humble, Lord, in your sight so that we may bless others and tell others what the real standard to enter your kingdom is. That no one will make it on their own, but that all will be welcomed and loved and shame and guilt will be washed away if only we will trust you. Thank you, Lord. And if there's a single person here who does not yet have you as Savior, I pray that they would claim you right now and start walking with you in the eternal life that you died to give them. I pray this in Jesus' name. And Crosspoint said, amen. God bless you. In every service, I'm thrilled to meet new people. I'll be right over there. I'm going to take my usual death-defying jump off the stage here. And I'll be at that table right over there. If you're new and you'd like to uh, get acquainted, I'd love a minute of your time. Let me ask in closing a favor. The trunk or treat is coming on. $5 of decorations and a trunk full of candy. That's all we need, okay? And a lot of people are giving us candy. We just need the cars, okay? I'm going to come up with some ridiculous costume. Somebody's going to loan me a costume. So if you want to come out and watch me make a slight fool of myself for the entertainment of children, okay? Uh, I'd love to see you there if you can possibly help by giving us some time, decorating the back of your car. We'll, we'll tell you everything you need to know how this is going to work. We just need a little help to give an, a great time for our kids on October 31st. Also, as you know, it takes quite a bit of effort to set all this up. If some of you have time on Sunday mornings early to help set all this up, we've got a good group of volunteers, but we're trying very hard not to burn anybody out. If you have time on Sunday mornings to occasionally help with setup, we'd love to have your, uh, your service. If you'd let us know on a connection card or an email, we'd appreciate it. And if you need prayer, there's some amazing people right over there where it says kids check in. Well, do y'all wave? There they are. Okay. They would love to pray with you. If you've had a rough week, if you've had some anxieties and some fears, if you want to celebrate with them something in prayer, they would love to pray with you. God bless you. Love you. We're dismissed. <laughs>